Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky. Hey, John. We're going back to California. We're going back to California, and we get to talk about shoes today. Like, could I be more (laughs) excited? And it's not even just shoes. Every female in the world, maybe except for our guest, (laughs) who is a self-professed, does not love shoes. Um... We we love to buy shoes. It's just something fun. And, and can we just say, okay, we, I've got two sets of twins and Becky loves to bring them gifts. And so she shows up this gifts. morning, not even realizing the connection, but she walks in with a pair of like sparkling high heels for one of my six-year-olds. And they were so elated. And we like, this is so ironic that this just happened this morning because we got to watch their faces when they got, and I'm using the air quotes, a new pair of shoes. And that is the journey of what we're going to be talking about today. And I am so humbled to be able to introduce this incredible CEO and executive director, Amy Fass, is here with us with the incredible mission of Shoes That Fit. And so Amy's from the East Coast. She's living on the West Coast, but she saw this incredible need. And here's the thing, and I'm going to let Amy break this down a little bit more. When a family has to choose between rent, utilities, and food, I mean, they're not thinking about shoes. Shoes are going to come last, particularly as a family is struggling through COVID-19. And so Shoes That Fit comes into that gap. It's a tiny gap, but it's a meaningful gap. And so we are going to talk about this incredible mission story. So Amy, welcome to the We Are For Good podcast. We are delighted you and your mission are here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. And I just, I love the podcast. I love what you guys are doing. It's really wonderful. Thank you. you Well, we love amplifying incredible missions. And I think, you know, a lot of our reader or listeners are here and, and they work in the nonprofit sector, but you know, we're all looking for something a little good, something a little uplifting. And I think you're going to bring that story today. So, you know, where to begin, we want to know about you. So tell us how a girl from Baltimore gets to California and tell us about growing up and what led you to nonprofit. That's a long meandering story, but the (laughs) short, short version is I was born in DC, grew up in Baltimore, but my mom and dad both grew up in the Midwest, spent all my summers visiting family in Iowa. Freshman year in high school, my dad took a job in Texas, Dallas, moved us all to Dallas. Um, I ended up going to California for college, didn't think I would stay here. And here I am in Southern California running on a profit. It's absolutely not where I thought my life was going. I, in no way did I think that any of these things were going to add up. But that's um, is what's so interesting to me is uh, the way life uses everything you have in really interesting yeah. ways. No, I mean, we completely agree too. And it's so I'm witness to that after so many interviews of hearing stories that it's the little moments in our life that really come together. And when we can lean into that, um, that's where people's passion comes alive, you know? And I know that that is absolutely true for you just in the little bit of time that we have gotten to spend with you. Would you kind of give us, you know, give us the big view? What is, tell us all things about shoes that fit. How did it begin and what are, how are the ways that y'all show up and serve today? 
Yeah. So Shoes and Fit started back in uh, 1992. So we've been around 29 years now, about to have our 30th anniversary. It actually started with um, a really interesting. It started with a woman who was working two jobs. Had, she was a single mom, had two kids. She heard a story about a little boy in Pomona who, short version of the story, he'd been sent to the principal's office complaining his toes had literally been turned under in his shoes to make them fit. And the saddest part of the story as she was hearing this is, you know, they took the shoes off, they massaged his feet, but you cannot be in school without shoes. So they had to put those shoes back on him. Elodie, our founder, was horrified when she heard this, but she also was not a person who had a lot of money to spare. She didn't really know how to help. Her first response was, why didn't somebody just buy him a pair of shoes? And the school's response is, do you have any idea how many kids we have in this kind of situation? Yeah. That's really how we started. So Elodie worked at Harvey Mudd College here in Claremont. She um, got this idea, took her a little while to figure it out, but she thought, well, I can't solve this problem for these kids. But she put up a sign in the uh, cafeteria, basically, that's saying, if you want to make a difference in a child's life, buy one pair of shoes today. She convinced the school to give her the names of 40 kids, just first name and shoe size. People picked up the cards within a day. All the cards were picked up. Within a week, they delivered 40 pairs of shoes. And that's how we started. And then we, we really spread. Family Circle featured us. Um, and it just spread like wildfire purely as a volunteer organization. And then we started getting some corporate partners involved. And it has just taken off. I say we are just a simple, concrete solution to a child facing poverty. You can make a real difference in a child's life. I mean, as you've talked about on the show already, what shoes do to a kid, to a person's self-esteem. But to a kid who's trying to fit in at school, maybe he's being bullied because he's wearing shoes that are falling apart. Um, I know, having moved around, what it's like to not be wearing the right things. But if you're wearing shoes that smell and have holes, um, you're going to hide. You're going to not go to school. Uh, you're going to act out. So we connect people with kids in their own communities and school kids and help them make a difference right in their own backyards. I mean, already I'm dead because this mission is so powerful and it's just gripping my heart. And honestly, the curling of the toes is yeah. probably what's going to stick with me in this conversation because I feel like I can almost see that and to endure that and to have that as a permanent reminder of walking around of poverty is, is a really painful notion. And I just love this about nonprofit. You can go into a micro space of need within the world and have such a tremendous impact. And I really, you have such a breadth of experience in the nonprofit sector and fundraising. And I'm curious what you've learned about community based fundraising through this nonprofit and maybe through any other places that you've been? Yeah, I, I'd say there are, are two main things um, that I feel that I've learned. One is I really do believe people want to make a difference. I think most people want to make the world a better place. You want to leave it better than you found it. You want to feel like your life has had some meaning, some impact. Um, and I think people are somewhat distrustful of nonprofits. I think they have seen, and I think sometimes it's overblown, but they've seen some abuse. Um, so people really want to know where their money is going. So I think knowing that people want to make a difference and then connecting them to a cause that they really, their eyes light up for. I always tell people, I'm not looking, you know, somebody's doing great in some other area. I don't want to steal them and say, no, no, do shoes up instead. I'm looking for the people who are looking for some way to make an impact. But then I think you need to be really transparent about what you do. I think you need to convey the impact to the donors so they know 
what they're funding and the difference that they've made. And I think you have to be really transparent about how you operate because I think it's up to us to um, create that sense of trust that um, together we really are making a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got believers here nodding too. I mean, it's very much an abundance mindset that I think as we all lean into the things that just we feel connected to or the causes that we feel that we notice, you know, um, in a unique way, I think there's just enough. And I love these conversations because it just grows my heart in belief of that, <laughs> you know, because you've had such a tremendous career and I know you've worked as a consultant and you've seen a lot of different organizations as well, um, that you've started to pull some of your expertise together and we hear you have a book coming out. So I'd love for you to kind of <laughs> canvas, you know, can give us the big view of what did you want to say? You know, there's a lot of books out there in the nonprofit world. What is it that you wanted to show up and really speak into um, leaders today? Well, this was kind of my pandemic baby, and I had to really be talked into it. I wasn't sure that I really had a book in me, but I had some people around me who were like, no, 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 you've had some unique experiences. Push this together. Um, so really, it's, it's called um, The Business of Nonprofit Inc. So it's really about running a nonprofit, and it's really a myth debunker in many ways. I think there are a lot of misunderstandings about nonprofits. Nonprofits are a huge business in the United States. I mean, there are um, we're over 10% of the GDP. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it is amazing the number of people working in nonprofits. And the U.S. is by far the biggest um, donor base. I mean, society, we're the country that gives the most by far. But we've also taken government out of a lot of our social services. So it's left this this gap for people to come in who are entrepreneurs or have a big heart, you know, whatever it is to come in and, as you say, fill these little niches. Um, But it is a business. Running a nonprofit is a business, but it's really a business. It's it's. It's two businesses. You're running two businesses. You have to run a business that makes a profit and succeeds so that you can make an impact. If you're not successful, you're going to go away. But you have to create a social good. But you're getting other people to fund the social good. You're not selling a widget and getting money for this. So it's a really interesting combination. I think people tend to either look at the business side or look at the social good side and not realize that they're married. It's, it's, that is your business. It's both sides of the house. Man, is that book hitting at exactly the right time, Amy, because we talk so often on this podcast about now now is the time that we need to seize this moment post-pandemic and completely level up our industry. And it starts with looking at nonprofit as a business. And it, it's talking about what John just said, growth mindset. It's about embracing entrepreneurial habits. It's about taking risk and innovating and embracing tech and there's so much that we are so far behind in, but yet we see the path right now. And we see that this is the moment and we want to meet the moment. And so I really love what you're saying. And this sounds like a great primer book for a lot of our young professionals, but I really want to explore this theme of poverty in Uh the United States right now. And we just had Laval Brewer on, and we were talking about, you know, just the state of homelessness and food insecurity. And I wonder if you could set the scene for our listeners about sort of the current state, um, any statistics you can share to kind of paint the picture of the important work that you guys are doing on the ground in California? Well, you know, poverty is just a huge issue in the United States. And I think it's somewhat hidden. You know, we tend to have, um, you know, a great discrepancy in our wealth. And I think since we kind of live in our own little enclaves, oftentimes we don't see what's going on on other sides of the world, which is one of the things I most love about Shoes of Fit. But I'll get back to that in a minute. But we have about a 7%, seven, just under 8% poverty rate in the U.S. But it disproportionately affects children. Uh, children are poverty over 11% of the population. Um, and it 
you've already kind of set the scene of what living in poverty does to families. And it's not just the children who are affected by this. Parents who can't meet the basic needs of their kids feel horrible. Mm. I mean, it really is kind of a cyclical issue. We really feel like, you know, we work through schools. We don't work with individual families because we want the schools to identify the kids most in need. But we really see ourselves as filling a service both for the schools, but for the families themselves. Um, we The letters we've gotten back from parents whose kids have received shoes are just really, really moving. Um, and I, I just think it's such a simple thing we can do to help. Poverty is such a puzzle in the U.S., and it, we just feel like we're, as you said, we're one important piece in terms of investing in a child's sense of self and self-esteem. Um, one of the things I love about this program does get back to this kind of connecting. Um, I think some of our donors, you know, when we can, we have people come onto campus with pandemic, we haven't been able to, but really connecting people on an individual level who are making a difference in a child's life and seeing what these communities are like and investing in each other. Um, I think that bridge and letting kids know that they matter and that there are people who believe in them is one of the most important pieces of this work. Yeah. I love the partnership piece of how you work with schools, because I mean, I think, you know, a theme that we see too, that I think the tide is turning on this. And some of it is just because of the nature of everything changing over the last, you know, 18 months to two years. But I love the partnerships that are emerging because we have to get subscribed to that one organization is never going to solve this and one school can definitely not solve it. So we have to play across, you know, well with each other. And we call it playing in the sandbox because mm-hmm. we like talking about kindergarten on the show quite <laughs> yeah. a bit. But what's, you know, what are some lessons you've learned through that lens of how do you, you know, kind of posture going in and trying to form these really dynamic partnerships with organizations and schools you work with? Well, the schools are easy. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. the schools, I mean, the school, I have just, especially during the pandemic, I am just so overwhelmingly impressed by people who are teaching in schools. Um, these principals, the, the links that they have gone to, you know, the teachers to connect with their kids, it's, it's really been heartening to see. Um, but I think with donors, I, I really do believe most people want to make a difference and you just have to get them to open their eyes a little bit, I think. To think about themselves. When you, I'm always amazed at the number of people who have their own stories about shoes, about not having had appropriate shoes, about walking. You know, we had one New York banker <laughs> very high up who actually got tears in his eyes when he was thinking about that. He was like, you know, I've never talked to anybody about this, but I used to have to walk to school. And my my um, he lived in the Northwest because there were holes in my boots. And it was humiliating, you know, to him that he it was painful. Um, so people have their own stories of wearing shoes that were just inappropriate, apparent shoes. When they start thinking on that really basic human level, I find that's when people's eyes light up. They're like, oh, I, this is something I can do. This is a way I can make a difference. I can't solve poverty. I can't, you know, create, you know, make my city exactly the way I want it, but I can make this difference in my community and the kids in my community, and I can let them know that they matter. And I think getting to that human connection is what really makes a difference. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, who happens to be one of our favorite companies too, Neon One. Neon One provides software solutions to growing nonprofits, but they really do so much more than that. They're also incredibly passionate about creating community in the social goods sector. We believe in the power of community. We've seen the greatest philanthropic movements happen when people work together to achieve common goals. Neon One can help you do just that. They created Year in Giving Connections, a community that brings fundraisers together and empowers them to learn from each other's experiences. With weekly checklists and an active Slack community, 
there's no better way to prepare for your year-end success. Want to be a more connected fundraiser? Join their community today at neonone.com backslash weareforgood or follow the link in our show notes. You hear us talk often that the greatest scarcity is capturing people's attention in today's digital age. So how are you creating and sharing content for your organization that stops people in their scroll and drives engagement with your mission? Enter Cosmic, the design agency we trust to nail your impact story, build brand awareness, and inspire action. They're so much more than just a creative agency. They're your thought partner and guide through this digital age. And Cosmic's deep expertise in the social impact space helps nonprofits and social enterprises grow their digital fundraising, launch advocacy platforms, and mobilize supporters to join you. We love them because they use their expertise and creativity to reimagine a more just and equitable world. And they just happen to be super kind people too. Sound like Cosmic might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at designbycosmic.com or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, that was so smart. So smart. The beauty of nonprofit is that we can wiggle into those spaces where people who have tremendous needs, you know, as a result of poverty, we can go into the little slit, the gap, and be able to create a moment like this that provides not just healing, but coping. It provides a sense of self, which you said before, which I thought was so beautiful. And you're right. I can think of so many people who have used that adage of a warm pair of shoes to define the hardship that has helped launch them into this life. And so anyone that's listening out there, two things for you. One, if this story resonates with you, please go to shoesthatfit.org and you can make a donation right now, or you can just find a way to pour into the programs um, that they have there. Two, find a way to pour into something within your community, because there are little gaps that we can slide into that make such a a big difference. And I just want to thank you, Amy, for what you and your team are doing, because this is just an amazing mission. And I am clearly soaking it all up. (laughs) (laughs) I think you really get it. And it's just, I think that, you know, the impact of you going in, what that says to that child, you know, they get the urge organs, but to see people in their community giving them this, I, I, I think we really underestimate. Um, the impact that can have in a child's life and their sense of what their community means. Well, you know, we've been so impressed with the way that y'all continue to innovate too. Um, And I think this program that you piloted in Los Angeles last year, I'd love for you to kind of talk through how, you know, you're continuing to pivot your model. Obviously some of that's probably pandemic driven, but some of it is because you've got business smarts and you're sitting over there, Amy, (laughs) scheming of how you can grow your impact. (laughs) Would you kind of tell us the story of how that came to be and, and walk us through your innovation? And so, you know, we have um, traditionally been very donor driven um, So because we help people help in their own communities. And we, you know, we're in all 50 states. We're helping kids everywhere. But some places were really big. Some places were small. But when the pandemic hit and schools were closing and kids were at home, we kind of had this, oh, my gosh, what do we do now? You know, should we be doing something different? What we soon heard was, well, a couple of things. You know, our, our business funding dropped off. Some of our foundations held back. Others stepped up. Our individual funding actually increased during the pandemic, because I'm convinced that people want to make a difference. And kids were still involved with their schools. They were going to school to pick up meals 
oftentimes more than once a day. Um, they were picking up their homework. You know, some of these kids were walking to school to get to things. So we saw that the need was still there. When we would contact schools and say that we did have shoes for them, we actually had teachers who broke down in tears, like, oh my oh. gosh, this is the first piece of good news we've gotten. Anyway, through this, we um, developed a model um, in LA where we decided, you know what, rather than being, you know, we had these individual donations going up, some of our traditional sponsors were backing off. Why don't we just go in to LAUSD as a funder and create what we call shoe banks um, within what LA has is this community of schools. So each of the schools, about 20 schools band together to be a community. So we started putting our funding and trying to raise funds or take general operating funds to creating the shoe banks so that they were available whenever a child was in need. So rather than us coming in once a year and saying, okay, measure these kids, look at a pair of shoes. This was um, a kid anytime, you know, we, we set up size runs. So anytime there was a child in need, they could access that through the school and um, they could get a pair of shoes they needed. And it's really taken, we have four of them in LA now. City of Las Vegas is actually opening one kind of Yay. citywide. And we're now talking to Boston about doing something similar. And what we're doing is actually looking at the need and trying to bring funders around to meet it uh, with us, but not doing the one-to-one, you know, one funder, one school saying, no, let's, let's help a whole community. So we're testing it. Um, it's, it's, it's got its challenges, but we really feel that this is a way to scale the program, to reach more kids and to um, bring the community in in a much larger way. I love that you brought that up because the whole time you've been talking, I've been thinking, Amy needs to franchise. She needs to <laughs> franchise this sucker. And I would love Oklahoma City to be a pilot yes. somewhere. Yeah. And we can, we, we can, that's one of the wonderful things. We can be anywhere. We are I everywhere. Know. I love in anyone who's listening to this, you may, this may really resonate with you. Reach out to Amy and see if there's a fit for your community. And I, I am so excited to get to this question because it's my favorite question. And I just think you're going to knock this one out of the park, but we want to know a story of philanthropy that has deeply touched you. And it could be with shoes that fit. It could be with any of your prior organizations, but just knowing that you've had such a lifelong career in the nonprofit sector, what's a moment that stuck with you, Amy? Well, my first year as executive director going to a um, delivery and there was one little girl there. It was with a company. Um, so it was the whole school. All of the kids were getting shoes. It was a big party. And when you do a big party like that, and you've talked about what happens when kids get new shoes that they've never had. I mean, they just start running. They put the shoes on, they start running around. It's just organized chaos. Organized, I say, if you're lucky. It's just chaotic, but it's joyful. It's very joyful. But there was one little girl who was kind of sitting off to the side and she just was holding her box and not doing anything. So I went over and I saw kind of a teacher there, you know, I went over and said something to her, I kind of sat down on the floor and she was very shy, but um, she kind of looked up in a very quiet voice said, I've never had a new box before. She hadn't even opened the box to look at the shoes. She was hugging the box. I lost her. I actually, I had to kind of walk off. <laughs> um that, that just really hit me. You know, we, we just don't know what people are experiencing um, in life. It, it, that was a very moving story to me. The other I'll say, and this is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but it's when I worked for UC Berkeley and I was doing higher education fundraising. And it was my first fundraiser with the vice chancellor going to a donor that I didn't know very well, but at Berkeley, I do things really quickly. And I had put together what I thought was a very aggressive ask um, for somebody that we didn't know, $100,000. And we ended up walking out with a million. <gasps> oh, <laughs> it was a total failure. 
according to the vice chancellor, because we had really <laughs> undershot ourselves. Um, but I, I, I've sat on that. Actually, it was kind of an interesting day, but I've sat on that story for a long time. And thought, you know, we just underestimate people's pain and we underestimate people's capacity to help. I just think we underestimate people. Um, so one of my big challenges to myself is just to listen more, to speak less, just to listen more and let people let you know what they're willing to do or what they need. Okay, I have to respond to the failure comment because I want to break down stigma in nonprofit. We have literally been taught, I feel like in my major gift days, I've been taught that if someone gives more than what you've asked for, you have failed. You failed, yep. Or if they say yes too fast. Or if they say yes too fast, yes. I am here to tell you folks, that is not a failure. That is perhaps the greatest win of the entire day. And because you can never fully know what's going on inside somebody's mind, in their family, in their heart. And if somebody gives you an expression that is so much larger than what you've given, that my friends is an invitation. That is an invitation for a lifelong journey. And the only thing to say is congratulations team, way to go. We have got somebody in here who believes so largely in our mission, they're willing to invest at this level, let's cultivate the absolute crap out of it. And let's just keep (laughs) going with this donor. Okay, stepping off my soapbox, John. No, I mean, I'm sitting here pumping my fist. I'm excited. I completely agree. It's like, where's the long game? You know, Mm -hmm. Amy subscribed to the bigger picture here. This conversation's like, got me amped up. And I can see why you've had so much success. Because I think coming in as a leader and choosing to listen, at every level of the organization. It's like the things that that we talk about are so basic because it's what really matters. Mm-hmm. And it's what matters at the end of the day for why people are gravitating to your mission too. Um, I have to like point something out because I'm just sitting here just seeing how stories connect. And you know, that the girl holding that shoebox, like it just got me, you know, because we've heard enough stories just through the podcast alone to know I know that that did something long-term in her life too, whether the organization's lost track of where that you know girl is. I know she remembers that and that did something for her. And we forget the possibility of impact that happens from the donor that's getting that feel good, you know, moment, but it's the impact, it's the staff, it's you, it's us. It's now this podcast audience. It's like, that's the power of philanthropy. And it just is so much bigger and brighter than we could ever think. But let me just throw this together. We started our season with the CEO, editor-in-chief of DevX, Mm -hmm. which is this multinational, right, media group that tells the story of the developing world. And his name is Raj Kumar. And, you know, we getting ready for his interview, we're like, man, this guy's impressive. He was part of the Clinton administration. He is this media guy. He has been on the ground at these incredible, you know, worldwide events that have shaped and changed the world. And we were like, hey, Raj, you know, tell us your story. And you can go back to this at the beginning of the season. And he said, you know, I had the opportunity to grow up visiting family in India. And his distinct memory is playing soccer with kids and realizing that not all the kids had shoes on their feet. And like, that was a formative life experience. I think he was like six, Mm -hmm. you know, and he is as an adult that has literally gone and built this table to tell the story of the developing world. And you can't tell me that that moment in his life over a pair of shoes didn't completely change the trajectory of the type of impact that has now happened through DevX and all the touch points. And so I just am saying your mission deeply matters. Mm -hmm. And I, I am just taken aback at the people that choose to invest in the small things because the small things really do matter. 
So thank you for that. Man, that was really good, John. I feel I'm very feeling moved. very inspired. <laughs> I'm sad to get to this, but because it means we're the near the end of our conversation. But we ask all of our guests, what's your one good thing? Um, what would be your one good thing that you could offer to our community today, Amy? I would just say um, one of the things I feel like I've learned and, you know, it's so funny how you um, go through life and it's really simple things, but people are everything. I just think in your organization, the people you work with are everything, the people you're serving are everything, your donors are everything. I really believe you can teach people skills, you can teach all sorts of, you can't teach heart. Um, And I think cultivating that kind of culture that, um, you know, I always say that we, our secret sauce, really, I think is that we are really about kids. We're, we're not about shoes. I mean, shoes are something that we give to kids because we know it's really important to kids and it makes a difference. But all the decisions we make are because we want to invest in the children. I mean, they are our future. And I think they're they're just it's so important that we invest in these kids and let them know how valuable they are to society. We could scale really quickly if we're willing to just take big trucks of shoes and just drop them off in Pershing Square in L.A. or other places in different cities and let people sift through them and pick out what they need. And we wouldn't really know where they're going. We could get lots of shoes out that way, but that's not the way we operate. We're really very um, we want to connect donors to kids. We want kids to know that somebody picked out a pair of shoes in their size, good quality athletic shoes um, that they can be proud to wear. Um, We really want that connection and we want to invest in these kids. We want to keep them in school. But all the decisions we make really are about what is in the best interest of our children. I mean, I think this whole conversation has just validated everything that we hold true and dear about what we think is the power of building a philanthropic movement. It's It's not just about raising money. It's about building believers. It's not about just shoes. It's about taking care of kids. And this is just one real beautiful, tangible way to do that. Um, And so, goodness, Amy, we're very lit up with excitement. Mm -hmm. We want to connect in all the ways. Where are y'all on social? How can people reach out to you? How can we get your amazing book that is coming soon? Tell us all the things of, of how to connect. All the things. So the, the easiest is to go to our website. We're just www.shoesthatfit.org. But we're on Facebook, Shoes That Fit Charity. We're on Twitter. Um, you can find us all over the place. We've got a blog that we keep going on our website. My book should be coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're in kind of some final little tweaky edits here, but um, it'll be coming out. And I'm, I'm excited and very nervous about that. You know, I, I love talking about Shoes That Fit, talking about me is a little more uncomfortable, but, <laughs> um, but it really is about running a nonprofit and what it's like. So I'll, I'll let you know when it's out so you can awesome. take a look at it and let me know what you think. Yeah. Check the show notes. We'll make sure and keep those up to date. And with- don't you right. be nervous, Amy, because you know, your business, you know, this business, you know what you're talking about. We we were just saying that we are drinking the Kool-Aid, the Amy Fast Kool-Aid, because <laughs> this is the way that we need to be thinking much bigger about our solutions. And I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I think it's going to be really an important tool for the nonprofit sector. So thank you so much for coming into our space, sharing just your bright light of your mission. And we're just rooting for you and hope for the best. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure talking to you guys. And I I love the podcast. We appreciate you. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. 
One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.